Welcome to Liz Collin Reports. On the podcast, a fearless mom fighting against COVID-19 vaccine mandates at colleges across the country. What started as a simple post when vax mandates first started has grown to a movement thanks to Joni McGarry, who co-founded No College Mandates, and her work continues. Joni joins me now from Indiana. Thank you so much for, for being here and being on the podcast, Joni. Thanks for having me, Liz. I appreciate the opportunity to shed some more light on this topic. We'll get to how this all started for you in just a minute, but I know you've been in this fight for, for quite some time. Uh, these mandates have basically been allowed to continue on college campuses, college campuses really of all places, uh, knowing what we know now. But, but give us an update. How many colleges are still mandating COVID vaccines and even the boosters for their students at this point? Well, we figure, you know, between like maybe 800 and 1,000 colleges are still mandating what is called the primary series and about, you know, over two, 250 mandate the booster. And then there are about 25 that mandate the bivalent specifically. Um, so to clarify, if you're a first year student this year and, and you were in a booster mandating college, you had to get the bivalent because the other one wasn't available. But if you are an upperclassman in one of the bivalent mandating colleges, you've had two boosters to stay enrolled. So it's it continues um, without you know concern across the country on, on the part of the colleges anyway. Well, they're, they're certainly concerned for for people like you, for for many parents yes. uh, like you. But what do you think of that? Uh, just the fact that this has been allowed uh, to continue. Well, you know, it's very interesting. I've been thinking a lot about um, why, first of all, why they persist even in the face of evidence that the shots don't prevent transmission or infection and have not really been effective in um, preventing COVID outbreaks on campus. And also because they have adverse side effects, particularly in this age group. So, you know, I've been trying to figure out, as so many of us has, First of all, what motivated these mandates, you know, and, and especially what motivates them to continue. And I think it's very, it's multifactorial. Um, you know, you can look at following the money, you know, which if it was just the money, it would be very easy because many of these colleges get, you know, tremendous amounts of money from the federal government. They have partnerships with big pharma. They get Gates Foundation money. But I think it's more of a mindset in the academic community at this point where you have um, many people on the faculty and many students and many of their families, uh, many administrators believing that this is the effective way to go to prevent COVID on campus. So that's part of it. You know, there aren't really laws against these kind of mandates, except in some states where the governor or the uh, the um, AG will say that, you know, you can't do it at state schools. But I think in the end, it's allowed, allowed to go on because most stakeholders aren't, um, they're, they're complying basically. And not speaking up and, and not fighting back. I know you, you took a look at records around our area for this podcast, which we appreciate. These are schools in Minnesota, Wisconsin, colleges in, in Iowa. What did you mm -hmm. find as far as uh, current mandates compared to other schools across the country? Well, first, let me say that, you know, where I got uh, the most up-to-date information is on the website of nocollegemandates.com. Um, a couple of volunteers there maintain a very up-to-date um, spreadsheet. You know, and I looked at the colleges and I would say Iowa is a really, you know, I, you hate, you can't say broad brush across to any state because it's really a mixed bag in every state. But Iowa, generally, all of the colleges that I saw listed had no vaccine mandates. So, and I think Iowa's been very good for the most part. Um, I think Grinnell College um, held out for a while. I believe they had a mandate. And then as far as Minneapolis, it's, I have my list here. It's, um, it's very mixed. Um, 
you know, McAllister College mandates the bivalent, but then St. Olaf's, that was one of the first colleges to mandate the bivalent. Like they came out of the gate very early. They two days ago dropped all of their mandates. Um, so the, it's Minnesota is very mixed, and it, 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 with any parent who is or student who's looking for a college, you really have to check consistently because things are changing all over the landscape. And Wisconsin isn't bad either. There are about maybe one, two, three, four, six colleges out of the whole list that mandate. So again, it's you have to continue to check of your schools of interest, whatever they are. And backing up, it was a son you have in college. He's a senior mm-hmm. this year, I understand. But this is how this all began for you. He had to get the shot, um, but then it was the booster uh, that he also had to receive. But you called that a, a bridge too far for you. Yes. Um, my son goes to Dartmouth, and they were requiring um, the primary series when, let's see, I think it was the June 21. I get the years mixed up now. And at the time, I didn't have any connection to any of the movement. I didn't know that he could apply for an exemption and get an exemption. Um, he really wanted to go back. So he did, um, he ended up going back. And then six months later, right before he was to go back for his winter term, after tuition had been paid, after everything was all set, which is when they make these changes, um, we got a notice that he had to get a booster. And that did feel like a bridge too far. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something about it. And I was sitting on my sofa actually knitting <laughs> and I put out a tweet and I went on the uh, Dartmouth parents Facebook page. And it was then when I realized that it was really hard to find like-minded parents because most of the parents on, cause you don't live in the same town where your kid goes to college. So you don't know these people. And if you go on the Facebook pages, they are highly moderated and any kind of dissent to this policy can really meet with, um, some vigorous pushback. Um, and so I posted that I was just going to write a letter opposing the booster mandate. And um, Lucia Sinatra, who is now running co- no college mandate, she continues to work there. She um, popped over onto the DMs and said, you know, I'm in. But most parents were not. Um, so I went on Twitter and tried to get people to amplify my signal so that people could start finding each other. That seemed like the most important thing. And, you know, within two weeks, you know, we had 2,000 people in the group, thanks in part due to some early attention from Fox News. There are a great many people out there who are now providing information and support and helping people navigate these mandates on the ground. And that all happens over at No College Mandates in their Telegram group. So if you're considering colleges, if you're in colleges right now, um, I would definitely take a look at that resource. But you bring, uh, Joni, all these parents, medical professionals also join this this fight as, as well. Everyone's together here. But you also are uncovering the, the direct connection between federal money uh, and your findings, which you mentioned a, a bit earlier. But that really had to be an eye-opener for you. Um, it was an eye-opener, and not just about vaccine mandates. It was an eye-opener that um, colleges that are private with enormous, I mean, enormous endowments, um, like Harvard, Yale, um, you know, the big research institutions, there's a fire hose of federal money that goes to them. And 60, like over 60% of this money comes from the Department of Health and Human Services. And all of this is publicly available information. Um, you can find it at USA spending dot, I think it's, yeah, dot gov. And if you want to see the CARES money, it's at a place called randoland.us. And you can go to the NIH and you can search grants. Um, by university. And you can also search grants by um, 
lab, primary investigators. So you can find out if somebody on the COVID policy team at your school is getting a lot of money from the NAAID or the NIH. And in most cases, they are. But I would hesitate to say that that's the, that's the causal relationship. Again, it's so complicated in terms of just this groupthink. But yes, the NIH, who is not a disinterested party in vaccination, because of course they co-own intellectual property um, with Moderna, or they co-own intellectual property actually with Dartmouth and Scripps Research, as it turns out, that is used in all of the vaccines. So they're getting royalty streams, not just from Moderna, but from all of the vaccines from COVID-19. So they're not disinterested is what my point is. So there is a Well, you even find your, your son's school is receiving money for their mRNA work. Mm-hmm. And we all know now that that's what's used in these shots. Well, actually, the, the intellectual property that was developed at Dartmouth and Scripps Research in conjunction with the NIAID, I think it's the NIAID, but it's the NIH broadly, um, it's, a, it's a method by which the spike protein is stabilized in order to elicit the biggest antibody response. And so that's the intellectual property. It's not really the mRNA piece. It's the, the protein piece, which is also a, a, across many other coronaviruses, not just COVID-19. So it's a very valuable piece of intellectual property, but also Penn profits greatly from these vaccines with different intellectual property. So there are colleges that are mandating the very product from which they have a revenue stream. And to me, that's just a conflict of interest. <laughs> I would say that is the definition uh, of one for anyone uh, who, who hears, hears that. And talk about your, the smaller campuses as well, Joni, taking no federal money um, you found that the way they approached this virus was uh, very different, and the way that the the virus mutated, if you will, uh, on campus was also uh, quite different. Well, you know, there are some schools, even schools that take federal funding, that had, um, you know, very they just they didn't make a huge deal about COVID, except at the beginning when everyone, you know, we didn't know what was happening. Schools really tried, they were trying to be the safest places they possibly could be. But soon after that, there were colleges like um, Hillsdale College, for instance, that takes, I think, just about no federal money. Um, they didn't even have a dashboard. When I called to find out um, how many camp cases they had on campus, you know, the nurse said, well, you know, we don't test. We don't do surveillance testing, which was done widely at campuses across the country. And their outcomes were no worse or no better or no, you know, they were the same at campuses that had, you know, very strict restrictions, very high vaccination mandates. Um, so I, I don't think there is the data that that mandating colleges can point to in good faith that say um, we did better than colleges that didn't mandate. We did better than colleges that didn't surveil everyone. Um, I, I think it's a myth, um, honestly. There isn't data. And just to, just to set the record straight, uh, I've heard you say before, you know, you're not an anti-vaxxer. Heck, you even admit to being a liberal four or five years ago. Uh, <laughs> not that but recently, you've talked but... about. <laughs> okay, okay, it's it's been a while. But um, but how has has this um all uh helped to to open your eyes and and change your mind? Well, you know, the whole term anti-vaxxer, I think, is so problematic. I mean, I don't even know what it really means. Is it someone against all vaccines? I mean, it's just used as such a smear. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I was somebody who never questioned um, medicine, never questioned pharmaceuticals. I worked in biotech. I worked in big pharma. Uh, my husband is a physician. You know, we didn't think twice about all of the vaccinations on the schedule. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not keen on this product. And in in what I'm particularly against is mandating these products. Um, I think in order for there to be a mandate. The product has to be exceedingly effective and exceedingly safe, and there has to be a clear and present danger to the whole population. And those standards have not remotely been met by this product. Um, so I'm very against mandates across any of the population, but particularly for young people, because the, the colleges have a captive population. And this is America, right? So you just want to go and get your education. These kids have worked very hard to be in college. And now they have to get an injection to remain enrolled, right? And so this injection has no long-term safety data. It uses novel technology. There are, there's reason to believe that it could have long-term effects on um, reproductive health. There's been widespread menstrual disruption, sperm count suppression. Um, so just even those things in the interests of caution and prudence would dictate that you pump the brakes and you don't force people to get this. Um, and the other thing is the um, adverse event profile in this age group is concerning. There is a much higher risk of myocarditis in young men and young women from uh, injection versus infection. So it's basically a risk mandate um, in that. So I'm against mandates. Um, I will leave whether the product should be pulled or whether it's a good product or those kind of issues to other people. I stay in the lane of the mandates have to be removed. Choice must be restored to our young people and all people. And just fast, fast forwarding here, you have Denmark not recommending the vaccine anymore for any healthy person under the age of 50, Norway and Sweden. They don't recommend the vaccine for healthy kids under 18 at all. Right. Um, and then we see mandates ending all across uh, this country uh, for people in the public sector, for people who work even in healthcare. Yet colleges are are still holding on. Right. And I mean, some some colleges have dropped and, and notably the California State University system um, is removing their mandates, which is a big deal in a state like California. Um, we don't see that movement, say, at the SUNY system. So some colleges and, you know, smaller colleges and larger colleges, even some elite colleges, I hate to use the word elite, but hard, you know, like Columbia University, U Chicago now has an opt out. So it's Across the country, there are many that are dropping, but then there are many that are keeping and have also announced for 2023. And I want to shout out to a couple of particularly bad situations. Harvard-Yale, bivalent mandate. Um, Notre Dame, they have a bivalent mandate, um, and they're requiring seniors to get it in order to get their diplomas and their transcripts. I mean, these kids will have had four injections in under two years. And then the University of Michigan is requiring that their students who want fall housing in Ann Arbor, they're requiring these kids to get the bivalent booster in May. And even if you say this product helps you, it wanes after two or three months. So tell me why... You must get an injection in May to secure housing for late August. I mean, there is something other than health pushing these agendas. Um, and I think there's also a, a movement upon campuses. You know, 
they've drifted to more tyrannical policies over time. And so there's a surveillance state thing happening. There's, there's an acceptance of giving up your bodily autonomy, unless it's reproductive rights, which again, I'm, you know, I don't really have a position on that, but the, um, the hypocrisy of bodily autonomy across those two things has been really quite stunning. Well, I think that's a really good point, jo- Joni, too, that this is the perfect population. They're they're away from home, away from their support systems uh, in a way. And that is the mentality, especially uh, for, for younger people. Hey, it's uh, it's just a shot. Right. It's just. A, and, and also, may I add that, you know, there has been a concerted effort to propagandize this um, group regarding these products. Um, the American College Health Association got $2 million from the CDC, and they used it to, in part, to hire a social media influencing firm. They pr- provided packets for peer influencing on campus. The White House had a college um, COVID vaccine um, vaccine initiative, and they were encouraging professors and um, coaches to talk about how safe these products were to the students. And then there's a lot of social pressure. So yeah, these kids are a captive population. It's just a shot. And, you know, people want to go along to get along. And it's not a good modeling of how to lead and how to be led um, for these young people. You have a congresswoman from New York now who's introduced a bill that would end COVID vaccine mandates for colleges and universities. Uh, Specifically, it restricts access to federal higher education funds for schools uh, that continue to impose these mandates. Are are you hopeful? Do you think this will go anywhere? Um, I'm glad that Claudia Tenney put the bill forward. I've been in contact with her office and her directly, but I have not heard back yet. You know, I want to get a coalition of people to help move this forward. I don't know where that bill is. I don't know if it's in committee yet, but I think it's hopeful to me that it's starting to be an issue and discussed in the legislature. Um, Thomas Massey has been very good on this issue. Rand Paul, there are congressmen who, you know, think this is wrong. So, I, again, I can't comment on uh, Tenney's bill because I just don't know where it is at this point. And what is your advice uh, then to parents or to students who are just uh, who are sick of these uh, mandates? What can they do? Well, I mean, in a perfect world, you can just walk away, right? Because you, you would opt out. But, you know, as much as people say that's the best thing to do, it's not available to everyone. People have given up scholarships and other admissions and they're well into their work. Um, so I think the advice I would have for people who are still at a school that mandates and they don't wish to leave, do everything you can to secure um, uh, a um, exemption. Usually a religious exemption is the way to go because medical exemptions are very difficult to get. Doctors, um, their hands are tied um, issuing them. Um, you know, if your school takes exemptions, some schools don't. I mean, some schools are very illiberal with their um, exemptions. And the only way you can really find out that is happening at a school is to talk to other parents who are on the ground there. So get all the intel at your school, find like-minded people. Um, If your kid has already been vaccinated and you don't wish for them to be vaccinated again, just get between them and the school with exemptions and do what you can to secure them. If you are considering colleges, just have your eyes open. I mean, if you go to a college that has had draconian mandate and surveillance policies, even if they've lifted them, you go at your own peril because there is no reason to believe that they won't be put right back in place, um, you know, in a hair trigger. There are plenty of colleges that don't mandate or who have had liberal, um, uh, exemption policies. And again, all that information can be found, um, you know, if you go to nocollegemandates.com, 
um, on their, you know, in their Telegram group and in their um, spreadsheet, which is maintained by a couple of volunteers there. And full disclosure, I'm no longer with that organization. Um, so, you know, I don't want to claim responsibility for their good work at this point, but they are, you know, they have great resources. And again, if you're considering colleges, go to colleges that don't mandate. I mean, you can see, and that's happening. Southern schools have higher um, application rates right now. And also, um, you know, Hillsdale College, you know, which is like the beacon of freedom these days, you know, their admission rate is going down, down, down because people are flocking to schools like that because they want freedom mm -hmm. and um, open-minded thought for their potential students. And you've said that before, schools uh, like that that are uh, against these mandates deserve uh, our support. For sure. Absolutely. And where can people go um, for more information on you? I know you're very active uh, on Twitter, uh, fighting this battle. Um, I am Lady Spalding Eleven on Twitter. And one thing I would like to say is I'm I've become aware and I'm helping behind the scenes for an event that's actually happening adjacent to Dartmouth College at their Hanover Inn on April 26th. Um, some Dartmouth alums who don't like these policies have gotten together and assembled um, an incredible panel of speakers, including um, Asim Malhotra, um, Janine Yunez, um, uh, Martin Koldorf, Todd Zawicki, um, Brooke Jackson, and uh, Joel Walskog. And we're going to have a panel discussion in the afternoon, followed by a dinner with keynote speaker Aaron Siri. The website is not up yet, but if you're interested in being on the mailing list to, to be notified, just um, email dartc19 at protonmail.com, and um, they will get you the information for that. So that's been a very exciting project so that we can bring the argument to a college um, to look at medical, um, ethical, and legal implications of college vaccine mandates. And I will note that we have invited Dartmouth to send representatives so that we can have an actual robust, um, fair and balanced discussion. Well, that's great. It uh, makes it tough to to ignore Parents, parents like you. So we, we appreciate that. We'll go ahead and put all those links and all that information thank in the you, article uh, attached to this podcast as, as well. But Joni McGarry, thank you so much uh, for joining me and for continuing the fight. It was great to be here. Thank you, Liz. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. If you'd be so kind to give us a five-star rating where you get your podcasts, we'd be grateful. And don't forget to subscribe to Alpha News on YouTube. We'll see you next time.